Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Hello and welcome everyone. This is the third episode of the Traveling Image Makers podcast and I'm your host Hugo Chai. I will be soon taking a short trip to Norway, a country I've been wanting to visit for a long time. While researching destinations online, as I always do, I happened to find this website called 68north.com. I soon realized 68north.com is a real treasure trove of information about travel and photography in northern Norway and about the Lofoten Islands in particular. I immediately decided to invite its creator, Cody Duncan, to be a guest on my show. If you're interested in visiting Norway, you should definitely listen to this interview. And if you stay with me until the very end, we will be sharing a special offer just for you. So let's jump right into my interview with Cody Duncan now. Uh, hello, Cody. How are you? Hello, Hugo. Doing pretty good. How about yourself? I'm I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So I wanted to to first of all to to introduce you by by telling a little bit of a story. Uh, a few weeks ago, a friend of mine suggested that we might go up to Norway for a for a photography trip or so, and he said he would really like to go to Lofoten. So I started searching online about. Uh, sites or resources about Lofoten of which I don't know didn't know much actually and one of the first hits in Google was uh, the 68 North website uh, 68north.com uh, so I started browsing the site and I learned about uh, Cody Duncan who is my guest today and uh, uh, who is the owner of the site and it's, it's a great resource about uh, about Lofoten so I said well it would be really interesting for our audience to to learn about this fantastic location. Uh, turns out, uh, in the end, I will go to Norway, not to Lofoten for logistical reasons. It didn't really... Uh, getting there is not as easy as we will learn, and it didn't really fit with uh, with my schedule. So we'll go to Norway somewhere else, but I really wanted to, to, to talk about Lofoten. If we have time, maybe talk about Norway in general from... A, travel and photography standpoint. So, yeah, um, if you want to introduce yourself, Cody, a bit, who are you? What's your story as a photographer and why Lofoten in particular? So, again, I'm Cody. Um, I'm originally from Santa Barbara, California. Um, blue skies, sunshine, almost all year. And now I'm currently living in, in the south of Germany. Um, I guess I would call myself something of a, a travel photographer, maybe a bit of a landscape photographer, and maybe a bit of adventure thrown in there. Um, originally, I started off just kind of as a traveler. My first my first trip to Lofoten was actually back in 2001, um, in my first ever visit to Europe. Just had a small SLR camera and some slide film, but didn't quite know what I was doing. But after spending that summer in Scandinavia, I was I went back to university to study computer science at the time. But by the end of, of that year, I found myself either surfing or driving around the mountains to take photos when the light was really nice. And so I kind of 
somewhat through that trip that summer decided that perhaps photography rather than sitting at a computer would be my future even though ironically enough i sit around a computer most of my time now anyways such as the life of a photographer nowadays mm-hmm. and so yeah so I, I went back to actually my hometown where i was from santa barbara and studied photography there and then after finishing up school i kind of mm-hmm. I, I wasn't settled i wasn't looking to live or work as kind of a commercial photographer in town or somewhere in california so i applied for a working holiday visa in new zealand and they accepted me so a month later i i hopped on a flight and went to new zealand bought myself a van and spent most of the next year living in a van working some odd jobs taking photos climbing mountains and until moving here to germany in the springtime i actually haven't lived in a single place since then which so it's been almost 10 years of basically being on the road most of the year and just taking photos so that's uh, that's about you so yeah. um about Lofoten, uh, for people who don't know, what is Lofoten exactly and where it is? Can you give a bit of a hint? Yeah, the Lofoten Islands are a series of islands or an archipelago, um, a little bit north of the Arctic Circle in Norway. So they're they're quite uh, they've been a popular area for a while, but I think for us photographers there's something new especially especially in the winter time and and for me i'm i'm often interested just in in small areas i'd rather kind of get to know a particular area really well rather than just go everywhere and take a few photos so i think i'd like i like lafoten as a, a single destination that i can get to know and dig deeper into over yeah many visits i've had 20 visits to the islands now and so i think it's it's a really it's a it's a wild destination but it's also a quite a civilized place i mean obviously thousands of people live there and because it's a coastal location on the gulf stream the islands can look really cold or look really wild in winter time but it's it's actually not that bad and coming from California, I, I don't like cold all that much. So I think it's a really, it's really exotic and wild. At the same time, it's, it's easy to visit and it's, it it just offers a lot of variety as the seasons pass. Yeah, I was uh, actually surprised to check in the average temperatures during the year. That a place that is so up north in. Uh, in terms of latitude, uh, would be relatively warm, all things considered. Other places, if you go to, to to Russia, for instance, same latitude would be much colder. It's probably due to the, the Gulf Stream that is warming up the waters of the North Sea. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the winter looks, a snow-covered mountains down into the sea is actually a very fine balance on Lofoten. As the, the average winter temperatures, maybe minus one, minus two, throughout the winter but it can be it can be minus 10 on monday and snowing and then on on thursday it can be six degrees and raining mm-hmm. so it, it's it's definitely a very fine balance and 
Yeah, I'd like to say that the islands look colder than they are. Mm-hmm. Whenever I post a photo online, someone says, oh, that must be really cold. It's like, nah, it wasn't that bad. And for someone from California to say that, it means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly does. Uh, so how, how, how do you get to, to Lofoten in practice? The islands aren't close to anything. Even, even if you're in, in Oslo in Norway, it's still most of a day's travel north. Um, the quickest way is if you're coming from outside of Norway, you'll fly to Oslo. And then you can either fly to Buda, which is across the Vestfjord from Lofoten. And from there, you would take a ferry, or else you can also fly. Or else you can fly to a Harstad a bit northeast of Lofoten. And then it's a couple hours driving to the islands from there. But either way, you're looking at a couple flights and a ferry at a minimum of getting to Lofoten. And I hear that the ferries are not so frequent, especially in winter, right? Yeah, in winter, it's typically once a day. And as much of public transportation in Norway doesn't always meet at a convenient time. So I've often taken the ferry in the wintertime, and it usually means spending the night in the ferry station when heading to Lofoten or on the return as well. Would it make sense to to drive there, like uh, starting from Oslo, how, how How long of a drive are we? From Oslo, you're looking at about 24 hours of travel. Wow. Uh, My partner, actually, she drove there from the UK last year. And I think she spent about three days on the road to reach Lofoten. Mm -hmm. And then we drove back to the UK with some travels in the south of Norway to break break it up a bit. But either way, it's, it's definitely a long drive. And you'll want to be committed to the trip. And uh, when, when would be the, the best time of the year to, to go to Lofoten? I think best time depends on what you're interested in doing on the islands. Um, if, if your main goal is hiking and, and just seeing, experiencing the outdoors, then, then summer from June, July, or August is, is by far the best time when in June and most of July you have the midnight sun. And so you never have to worry about going to bed or getting down from the mountains before dark. And actually, my favorite time is just to go start hiking at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night and come back at 3 or 4 in the morning. And don't, you don't need a headlamp and you can just you can make your own hours. And the only thing to worry about is actually if you have to go to the shop. And so you have to make sure the shop's open during the day. Um, photographically, though, winter is perhaps my favorite time of year. There's just, for me, coming from California and growing up surfing on sandy beaches, when I see the beaches just covered in snow and having the waves wash against the snow line, it's just a really surreal and interesting scene for me. And then in the background, you just have mountains covered in snow rising from the sea. And that's something I never experienced growing up back home. Is the the weather generally i guess it's very variable or you can uh, never predict the weather with great accuracy is that yeah there's some statistics saying the first week of june is dry and the last week of august but in my experience you're not going to be able to predict the weather until you get to the islands and oftentimes years will vary so say one summer will be a really good summer 
And then the next summer, it's just cold and wet, and it barely reaches 10 to 15 degrees most days. So th this summer was actually quite a poor summer for most most of the of the season, whereas last year was actually 25 degrees and sunny almost all of July. So there's kind of there's no predicting what you're going to get until you arrive there, unfortunately. And winter, you said it's it's not that cold. So what what would you recommend that that people uh, wear during the, the various seasons? either summer or winter yeah in the winter time it, it's not that cold but it can get it can get minus 10 or a little bit colder but the the real effect on on Lofoten is the wind chill especially because of the the high humidity in the air just being a coastal climate minus five on Lofoten feels like minus 10 or below in kind of more say in the Alps for example so you, you definitely want to make sure you're insulated with a good good down or synthetic insulation and oftentimes especially for winter when you're going to be out shooting the northern lights at night you'll often be standing on either frozen beaches or just frozen parts of the land in that your feet can actually get really cold which is my main problem as i often mm -hmm. wear too small of boots so the loss of heat from your feet is a is a real problem and so a good insulated shoe definitely helps keep you going all night long when the, the northern lights are shining in the sky. And for summer, you yeah, you still you still have the wind problem and you can still expect temperatures, especially in, in June, down to down to zero degrees or so, especially with the wind chill. So you won't need to have like a big down parka, but you'll still want some insulation at least. And it rains a lot, so you need a rain jacket. In terms of protection for your gear, uh, making sure it stays dry and uh, and operates properly, do you have any suggestions? Yeah, I'm I'm a little old school actually in that I just kind of if the weather's real bad, I'll just kind of put a plastic bag on my camera and tape it. But if you're if you're serious about shooting in in bad weather, then you definitely need camera protection. I think there's various brands that make camera covers that are waterproof and will keep your camera dry in the rainy days. And then in the snow, just make sure you're not um, bringing your camera indoors to warmer temperatures after it's been outside in the, in the cold weather to avoid the condensation issues. Yeah. I, I need to remember when I leave for Norway uh, to, to bring some, uh, some of those zip, Ziploc bags. Yeah. To that's put a good your tip. Gear in bef before getting, inside or getting outside and letting condensation stick to the bag outside instead of to the lens or the camera yeah and myself i'm a bit lazy so i actually just i'll usually keep my jacket on and just keep the car the windows down of my car mm -hmm. so that i don't let it get too warm and then it makes it easier to get outside again anyways since you're not warm and comfortable and then have to look at the bad weather outside and go oh do i want to go out in that again so that's also another trick. Just keep the car cool. Okay, good to know. Uh, another thing that I think, it, considering the the wind that you said can be quite strong, and especially in winter, there's not going to be much light. So probably a good sturdy tripod is uh, is essential. Yeah, definitely a good sturdy tripod. And actually, this year I lost a camera, or I broke a camera oh. to a uh, wind blowing it over, and. <laughs> So yeah, if you can carry a, 
a heavy, sturdy tripod is definitely what you'll need. Although typically I carry something on the lighter side as I'm often in the mountains. So I just, I simply can't carry as heavy a tripod as I would if I was just on a straight photography trip. But the wind is always an issue. And I've had a couple nights where I've, or I've had a couple days where I've gone up planning on camping in the mountains and just, just been blown off the mountains and have to hike back down because it's obvious my tent would not survive the night. I, in these situations, I would normally uh, uh, use the hook at the bottom of my tripod to hang my bag from it. This will stabilize the, the tripod against the wind and uh, have less chances of it topping over and, and destroying your, your gear. Yeah, that's a good tip. Although I cut off the center column on my tripod to make it lighter, so mm-hmm. I don't have that option anymore, unfortunately. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you need to be really, really careful. <laughs> yeah. Good, good. Um, how, how do you get around the islands? Uh, I mean, these are islands, so do you have to take lots of boats and ferries to, to move between one island and the next, from one island to the next one? No, all, today all the main islands are connected by a road, the E10. So you can drive to all the islands. Although a, a couple of the beaches on the westernmost island, Moskinesoy, um, the beaches of Bunas and Horsid, you it's, it's easiest to take a ferry to. There are possibilities to hike, but they're quite difficult and long. So there's kind of a, a foot passenger ferry that you can take, and then it's a, a short hike from there to those beaches. But otherwise, driving is, is having a car is quite necessary in Lofoten. There is buses, but if you're a photographer and you're intent on photographing the islands, the buses don't travel to a lot of the good locations. And if they do go there, it's maybe once a day or twice a day to drop off the school kids. So it's not ideal for for visiting the islands. Are road conditions good in winter? Do you need uh, special skills to to drive on the snow or, or the ice? Yeah, if, if you're renting a car in Norway, all the cars will have uh, studded tires. And if you're driving from the continent and you don't have studded tires, it's probably quite a scary experience. Mm-hmm. So I'd suggest if visiting in winter, renting a car on the islands or elsewhere in Norway is is best. Um, they They do a good job of keeping the roads clear. Obviously, when there's a big storm, they let the snow pile up. But it's not like the European continent where they completely clear the roads and salt the roads. Most of the time in, in Norway, there's a layer of compacted snow on the road, and that's what you're driving on. Mm-hmm. Um, the only difference is when when it starts to get warm and it's going to begin to rain, that's, that's the most scary time for me is because all the roads will become covered in a layer of wet ice. And even with the studded tires at that point in time, you're driving... 20 30 kilometers an hour at the most on a lot of sections of road just because it's it's so slippery and usually they know when that's going to happen so they'll try and salt the roads and get the roads as clear as possible but there is that transition period that can be very very scary mm-hmm. and this this year especially in winter i saw a lot of cars off the side of the road mm-hmm. so it, it didn't seem worse than normal but yeah i don't know it could mostly have been a, tu- just, do you think they were mostly tourists or locals? No, it, it, it was a mix of locals and tourists. Okay. I was actually driving from the hostel I was staying at around uh, about a couple kilometers from it. And I come around a corner 
and in front of me is a guy spinning in circles in the middle of the road in his car. And I put on the brakes as best I could, but obviously the, the road was a bit icy, and so I wasn't stopping as, as fast as I wanted to. And But luckily we missed each other by about 50 meters by the time I stopped and he stopped. But that was quite scary. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah. <clears throat> so the, the the islands are great. I've seen some photos. I mean, the, the landscape is... Uh... Is really amazing with those uh, high peaks uh, dropping off into the sea, and especially in winter when they are covered in snow. Though it's a, it's really a unique landscape. But many people go to those latitudes because of the particular astronomical conditions. I would say that you can find there. Um, and one thing is the the Northern Lights, which is a phenomenon that is typical of northern and southern latitudes but we are talking mostly about the north here and the other phenomenon is the uh the midnight sun and uh, the and the fact that the being so up north there is such a, a difference between the winter and summertime in winter you have very little light i think that during a, a few days in the winter at that latitude you have actually have no sun at all there is a the polar night and in summer, there is no night because the sun is always up at around uh, the mid-June or beginning of July, right? So c- can you tell us a bit about those, uh, those phenomenon and, uh, phenomena and uh, what's the, if people want to capture the northern lights, what's the, the best suggestion that, that you can give? Yeah, the, the light in the photon is, is perhaps my biggest draw to the islands. And one of the reasons I've, I kind of go back and visit the islands multiple times per year. And beyond the, the midnight sun in summer and the polar night in winter, um, to get between those two periods of time, the islands actually gain or lose about an hour of daylight per week. So from the end of the polar night in, in early January to the beginning of the midnight sun in May, you have to go from zero hours of daylight to 24 hours of daylight. And so for us photographers, it's actually, you have to remember to set your alarm clock to get up a half an hour earlier per week during the winter months. And it's living in, in southern latitudes in Central Europe or California, you don't really notice the movement of the light so much. But on Lofoten, you can really feel the days getting longer over the period of two weeks. And so for, for northern lights... If you don't like the cold that much, the autumn is actually a really nice period. Um, if, if, if it's a good season, you can begin to see the lights at the end of August. But typically by mid-September, the northern lights should be, if the sky is clear, obviously, um, semi-frequent. And then, But the islands are still mild enough where you can be camping in the mountains. Oftentimes, there's not really any snow by mid to late September. So it can be, it's kind of a good combination of summer conditions on the land, but then you can still be out camping and have northern lights over your tent at night. Whereas the main winter season kind of from, if you want to go experience the polar night in December, you'll have no light and you'll have, well, you'll have twilight during the day and then the possibility of northern lights beginning in in early afternoon. But typically, if you want to photograph the northern lights, mid-February to March is is the best time where you'll get the nice winter conditions in the islands, snow-covered mountains. 
and still long enough nights for the northern lights if the weather's clear. And personally, I really like photographing the lights with as near a full moon as possible, as I think it really helps light up the landscape, especially if there's a fresh layer of snow on the mountains. And if the lights are, if the northern lights are bright enough, it, the moon won't affect it at all. And so those are my ideal conditions for the northern lights. Yeah, that, that, that's pretty interesting because when we normally shoot uh, the night sky, uh, we wanted to shoot things like the Milky Way here in more southern latitudes. You you always look for uh, moonless moonless nights when you have a new moon or when the moon is already set or hasn't risen yet. Uh, so I was surprised to learn that actually the, the best conditions for the northern lights are when there is a full moon because it means that they might be they should be particularly bright. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Deemed dwarfed by the moonlight. Yeah, the, the northern lights can appear in several different ways. If it's if it's just a really light display, sometimes there's just a, a green glow in the overall sky, and, and there's nothing really distinct about the lights. It's just kind of greenish. Whereas when it's a really good, strong display, there's really defined um, beams of light that are just moving across the sky. They can become a corona completely overhead, and then they're down to the horizon, or maybe it's an arch just from horizon to horizon filling the sky. And so I, I think in those conditions, are that's when it's obviously best to photograph the lights. The moonlight helps make the northern lights not just an element themselves, but it helps you photograph them as a, a part of the landscape, similar as you shoot a sunrise or sunset. And instead of just having white clouds in the sky or the glow of a pink sunset, you have the northern lights as an added element to the landscape. And Lofoten is a really good location for this because you have just the fantastic beaches with these epic mountain backgrounds and then throw in the northern lights above that and it's nothing better in my opinion. Is there a way to reliably predict when there will be a good display? Yeah, the, I mean, there's the northern lights are based upon the this activity from the sun. And so there are several websites and applications that predict it up to a few days in advance. If you're trying to predict in January if there's going to be northern lights in March, no, you can't predict that. And then the weather on Lofoten can also be a frustrating factor, especially in wintertime in that the islands can just be covered in clouds. So there's been a few times when you can see the northern lights behind the clouds, but unfortunately you're not going to get the clear conditions that you would like if you're perhaps a bit further inland in Sweden where the skies typically stays a bit uh, less cloudy. Yep, I'm crossing my fingers for when I go up. <laughs> yeah, that's but, basically what you have to do. Is is yeah. the, the landscape itself is already fantastic, and so you just have to think of the northern lights as something of a bonus, and yeah. hopefully you're lucky and you get something nice. If I if I'm not lucky, I will go back. <laughs> yeah, that's my problem, and you um, keep going back and back. Another thing that I wanted to that you you brought to my mind when you said that there is such a a big difference in the sunrise and sunset times uh, from one week to the next, even one hour of difference. That also might should mean that even the position where the, the sun rises and sets can be quite different from from day to day or from week to week so if you are 
seeing a, a great sunset today with the sun in a specific position and you want to shoot the same sunset tomorrow, maybe because the, the, the sky was not that great, you might find that the sun is actually setting in a quite a different location that you were expecting, I guess. Yeah, on a day-to-day location, you're probably okay, but um, taking from month to month, the sun definitely moves. So in, in the wintertime, the sun is almost rising south-southeast and setting south-southwest. So many of the northern sections of the islands, due to just the high chain of mountains, never actually see sunlight during winter. They're always in shadow. Whereas in the summertime, the sun is rising and setting almost completely in the north until the midnight sun period begins. And so between, say, early February and and late April, yeah, the sun almost goes 180 degrees rotation on the compass from where it rises to sets between those months. And the sun never gets very high on the on the horizon, so you get like very long sunsets and sunrises, and I think that's that's a draw, that's an attraction of uh, the northern latitudes, right? Yeah, that's, that's something like the farther north you go, the sun moves at a much more parallel angle to the horizon. So what we're used to is a sunset time in, in Central Europe, maybe lasting half an hour of light. In Lofoten, it can be over an hour or more. And in, in the case of the midnight sun, it's kind of just a continuous sunset into sunrise. And in the winter, in the early weeks of late January, mid-February, it's kind of just one long sunrise into sunset without ever getting full daylight. And so it's, it's a really, a really unique light and a really surreal experience to have these long, exper- uh, long extended sunrises and sunsets. And then beyond that, you get really long extended periods of twilight as well, which you don't experience at, at southern latitudes. Really looking forward to it. Um, <laughs> counting the days. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like in in my head, photographing from California, I kind of know, okay, the horizon is this bright. The sun's going to be rising soon. In Lofoten, when you see the horizon and you kind of think, okay, the sun's about five minutes away from breaking the horizon. It can be 45 minutes mm-hmm. because it's just moving that much more parallel to the horizon than than what we're actually used to. Okay, if, if people want to, to go to Lofoten and they don't have much of experience and they need some some guidance there, I, I think you organize also photo tours there. Do you, do you want to say a bit about what, you're, what you organize up there? Yeah, I have a couple photo tours coming up for 2016. I have one in, Jan- or in February, uh, starting on the 14th, and then I have another one for autumn, which is perhaps one of my other favorite photographic periods, um, beginning in mid-September. And then beyond that, just my website, 68 North, is where I've written dozens and dozens of articles and mountain hiking guides and guides from everything of getting to the islands to what to wear and how to pack. So I'd say 68north.com is where you'd find out all that information. Yeah, I'm... uh actually spent quite some time uh, reading your website and found it uh, really well written and interesting, especially while I'm, as I said, I'm not going to Lofoten this year. I'm going to another part of Norway, but I got some suggestions about, yeah, how to, to shoot the Northern Lights, how to, uh, what to wear and so on. They are 
good for uh, not just for Lofoten but for also for other uh, nearby locations. So that's uh, that's a great resource. Yeah. Um, yep. Go ahead. No, I was just uh, mentioning the fact that you also have uh, a couple of uh, ebooks available for um, people who want to just fall in love more with those locations uh, and watch, look at some of your photos and have more information, right? Yeah, I wrote my first ebook this earlier this year called Seasons of Lofoten Winter, which is basically everything about winter photography on Lofoten. And since the islands are so seasonally specific, I, I didn't think a comprehensive guide just photography on Lofoten would be appropriate as, as we spoke earlier, the sun moves so much, the weather is so different, the light is so different. So I've, I've broken it down into seasons and even interseasonally, there's still some variation, but I think breaking it down to winter, summer, spring, and autumn is a good way of, of dealing with the islands. And so at the moment, I have the winter ebook, and I have the Seasons on Lofoten summer ebook, which is about summer on the islands. And I've also just recently, last month, released my third ebook called Beaches of Lofoten, which is about all the beaches on the islands. And coming from California, I didn't think there would be beaches so far north, but I think some of my favorite beaches in the world are on the Lofoten Islands. And my favorite places for camping and hiking up the mountains and looking down back at them. And so some of the world-class beaches are located north of the Arctic Circle on Lofoten. Uh, Although, do, pe do people actually go swimming in the summer? Yeah, the locals go swimming. Uh -huh. I've, I've dipped in the water a couple times, but I'm not that crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Maybe you can go surfing. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've wanted to go surfing up there one of these days, just getting my surfboard from California is a bit of effort, but maybe one day I'll go surfing there. And there's actually a really, a really good wave at a beach called Unstad has become quite a, a famous surfing location in recent years. And so you often see people in the water there surfing. Mm -hmm. Good. I guess not in winter. Uh, no, they, they surf in winter. Actually, in winter. when the good waves come, yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah, I guess they can. Uh, as we said, the water is not too cold if you have a a good wetsuit. Yeah. Be fine. Yeah, I think it still looks pretty grim, though. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, that was a really interesting conversation, and uh, I already had a. I have great expectations about my next trip to Norway, and maybe one day we will uh, find uh, our paths will cross, and we will meet in Lofoten or somewhere else in Norway. It would be great. Yeah, um, if you're ever on the islands, I can often be found wandering around in the mountains mm -hmm. so i'll get in touch yeah next time. um anything else you want to add you already we already mentioned your website it's uh, 68north.com any other places where people can go and find you no that's basically i have my my normal website codyduncan.com but that's more of my general travel but if you're interested in lofoten 68north.com is the place to find the information i've written over the years Okay, good. So thanks for uh, being with us today and uh, best of luck with your photography and your trips to Lofoden. Yeah, same to you. Thanks for having me on and have a good evening. Okay, take care. Take care. Ciao. Bye. As a special offer for listeners of the Traveling Image Makers podcast, you can get any of Cody Duncan's ebooks about the Lofoten Islands for a 15% discount 
by going to blog.ucphoto.me that's M-E slash 68 North that's 68 N-O-R-T-H.